How's it going, everybody? This is Chris Adams with Beyond the Blind. Um, you can check out the podcast on Facebook um, under BTBN. You can check it out on Instagram. We're doing a call giveaway. Um, this is episode number 14, I believe. I've narrowed it down. I think on episode 20 or 25, we're going to go ahead and give that thing away. So uh, you got a couple more weeks to get some entrances in. So subscribe and share an episode and you'll get an entrance into the call giveaway. Um, yeah, need more people to get on there. Thanks everybody who's been tuning in. Hopefully you like this this format. It's been uh, pretty exciting and fun to watch. And what can I say? I just like it. I like talking to other people, other call makers, like-minded individuals. And I'm on the road a lot. Helps pass time. Today I got uh, Brandon Llewelling out of Tornado Valley Calls, and he's in central Oklahoma, and he's been putting up a lot of stuff. God, he's been doing it for almost 10 years, it feels like, and uh, catch some of it on TV, and I don't know, I feel like I've been following it for about the last five or six years, but I know you've been doing it quite a bit longer than that, Brandon, haven't you? Oh yeah, um, I'm coming up on about, let's see, about 10 years total, I wouldn't say that's, you know actively making calls that entire time but that's probably i think 2010 was when i finally finally got a lay and just kind of started messing around with it so i would say i you know i started i'd probably turn my first functioning and i'm i'm using that term loosely uh functioning.com 2012 so um so yeah coming up on 10 years uh i would say the last five years more seriously though uh, so yeah it seems like uh i don't know 2015 14 it seems like you made a big push and jump on the amount of stuff that i saw coming out but dude 10 years that's that's no small chunk of time i bet it feels like a short amount of time sometimes but uh that's that's pretty impressive in the call making world it really i mean it really did it flew by um i think about three years ago is when i started doing cnc calls as well just to just for those guys that you know that want to call in their hands but don't want to wait, you know the amount of time that you might have to wait for a custom call. That's why I decided to go ahead and do a CNC run as well. But before then, and and still, um, still do customs by hand. Obviously, right now, um, if you look at my social media and stuff, I haven't been turning out as much as I usually do, just because life has gotten pretty busy right now. But uh, you know, I still have some I have some big plans in the future for some some ideas that are brewing in my head and just excited to get back on the lathe for that for sure how is this uh we talked a little bit beforehand but how is this corona corona times affecting your day-to-day kind of you know your normal i assume you work a normal job it sounded like we were talking about but uh how is it affecting your day-to-day life yeah i mean my normal job i'm a physical therapist so um as far as like precautions there, it's obviously affecting, you know, how we can treat patients, how many people we can have in the clinic at a time. But really, I mean, just by our normal patient load decreasing because of the, the scare behind coronavirus, um, that's been pretty easy. But other than that, I mean, I, I, my wife and I did bring home a baby about eight weeks ago. So we've, we've been obviously more cautious uh, than we normally would have been because of that. Um, but if it wasn't for, you know, baby at home and just like elderly people in our family i feel like we would be going about life pretty normally um we have it's been nice i mean it's nice to kind of just relax with the family and go on we went on a lot of walks and just explored a little bit more than normally so that would be nice that's the nice part about it i feel like 
Yeah. Well, uh, first off, I want to say congrats on the new kiddo. There's nothing I like it, man. It. You said it was the Thank first you. one? Yep. It's our first uh, baby boy. Um, first Mother's Day really today, too. Exactly. This so. is going to come out late, maybe later on today or tomorrow. I'm not sure yet. But yeah, this Mother's Day. So you got a wife with a brand new Mother's Day, man. Yeah, had a very good day. Had a little family cookout, small family cookout, and everybody ate good, so it was a good day. Very cool, brother. Yeah, that um, the what you were talking about, how everybody's been out. That was um, I, I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast or if me and Channing were just talking about it, uh, Channing Korea, and uh, I live in a neighborhood. That was one of the things that I I'm from Springfield area. But we live south of Springfield, about 10 miles in the town of Nixa. And I wanted my kids to live in a neighborhood. Because my favorite memories as a kid were everybody outside playing football, you know, or playing baseball, riding bikes, just being crazy kids. So I wanted to live in a neighborhood. It's not the same as it was when when I was a kid. And, uh, man, now if I walk outside, open up the garage, everybody's outside, hanging out, sitting on the front, you know, lawns, (laughs) drinking you know soda tea whatever and everybody just talks everybody's walking it's it's taking this coronavirus is taking us from 2020 to like you know 1995 like yeah that's what it's taking us back like 20 years yeah exactly um i I also like for a hobby i ride mountain bikes a lot well i need some work done on my bike and usually you take it into a shop and it's done a few days later and every shop i called was three weeks behind because everybody's either buying bikes or probably pulling old bikes out of the shed and they're needing works it's insane just everybody's kind of going back to a more active lifestyle which is awesome we'll see you know how long that lasts (laughs) right well it's so funny because yesterday was my birthday and i've been talking about getting a bike for like the last three months i've been really wanting to get into you know we have a lot of hills and like we live i live in the ozark mountains so i've been wanting to get into uh you know more mountain biking and stuff like that and uh been going to the store for the past two months and there is absolutely nothing all the bike shops are just gutted and it's like you can go out and you know just get a a run-of-the-mill spider-man bike for the kids but as for adults man there is nothing out right now it's crazy it is i bet marketplace will be flooded with them in the next few weeks for people finding out that bike riding is just not for them anymore i hope so because if I can get into a you know a nice Cannondale for half price, <laughs> exactly. I decide it's not for me and not lose my butt on it. Exactly. I don't know, man. I grew up on a living on my bike. It's my kids. I uh, my six year old just started riding for her. Like at the beginning of the quarantine, she started riding without training wheels. Seven year old, he is freaking full speed with no training wheels. And then I got a five year old. And I'm trying to get off the training wheels, but she's uh, the baby of the group, so she uh, <laughs> she would rather be on the scooter or anything else. But it's like, man, now you guys are all going. I can't keep up with you just walking or half-jogging. I'll be burnt to death. So I was like, I got to get a bike. Oh, yeah, that's awesome family activity. Absolutely, brother. So, oh, man, my allergies have been killing me, so I'm a little stepped up. But, um... Yeah, so let's get into uh, some of the call making. You're from central yep. Oklahoma. Where at exactly in Oklahoma are you from? I'm about 30 minutes east of Oklahoma City in a small town called New Walla. Um, just, there's not even a school here, so we all most people know it by Hera, um, but just outside of the city. Is that closer to uh, state or university? 
Uh, I am closer to uh, University of Oklahoma, Norman. Norman. Okay, um, right on. I was going to say, 40 that's, minutes, yeah. my buddy's a big uh, Sooner fan, but he lives outside of Claremore. So okay, it's always yeah. funny seeing that dividing line of uh, state fans versus, you know, Sooner fans. Oh, it's insane. I'm a, I'm a OU fan for sure. They have all my money for school, so I feel like I, I probably owe it to them as well. Yeah, you paid some of Bob Stoops' contract for a while then. I definitely I probably played, paid some of the players' contracts as well. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, hey, that's the uh, that's the business, man. I'm not I'm not a, <laughs> a purist. It's funny talking to like my my parents and stuff like that, and they're like, "Oh, well, just going to college and and getting a free education is all they need." I'm like, "Well, you better start paying the players a little more money." You know, or else uh, you're gonna watch Florida's and stuff like that. Keep taking them because they're doing it. Yeah, it's an interesting scenario for sure. You a big football fan at all? Um, I mean, I, I definitely watch almost pretty much every game. That's probably the the biggest college sport that I watch is uh, football. Um, sorry, I had a good drink. No, you're but, good. You're good, man. Get you some of that drink there, fella. Yeah, I'm also. Uh, I'm a pretty big NBA fan as well. I try to catch a lot of Thunder games if I can. But man, you guys, uh, you guys had some really, really good years. Yeah, we did. Surprisingly, I mean, everybody kind of wrote this year off, and they were actually playing pretty good this year too. We're going to make the playoffs, so we'll see if they get to pick up where they left off, or if they just call the season quits. Um, but definitely, uh, I like Thunder basketball. There's been some great players that come through here in a short period of time already. What is your opinion on Kevin Durant? Oh, man. Well, I was lucky enough, like, when I was in grad school, I got to do a clinical rotation with the Thunder. So I was with them for about three months doing physical therapy. So I got to meet every single player. Um, And that was 2012, so that was when we made it to the finals. So that was some great players through there. He was he was nothing but nice to me. I mean, was, I mean, all of them were awesome, really, really nice guys. Um, I think where he went wrong was just how he left. Um, if he would have done it, even like Paul George did recently, and just told people, I think obviously people are still going to be upset. But it's just the fact that how he went about it. Is he a great player? Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. But he definitely burnt some bridges with fans and even just professional bridges. Man, it has to be hard. Like you said, that's a really amazing experience to go out there and do that. So working with those guys on a day-in, day-out basis who were actually nice to you, it's probably hard to imagine a, a single mean thing where, like, if you walked in the, the locker room to do something and the guy was just, you know, an asshole, <laughs> you're exactly. like, all right, good riddance, yeah. you know? I never had to experience anything like that. They are always really awesome to me and awesome to all the staff and, I mean, some of the bigger name players that you wouldn't even think of were some of the coolest guys. Westbrook was really, really cool and uh, just some great ones, honestly. It was a fun time. That's crazy. How long? So you did that for your year of graduate? Like, I did it uh, my last year of PT school. I did it for three months. And uh, it was, I think, what, January through March. Right before playoffs is when it stopped. Uh, and we were, we were on a hot streak. Yeah, so, well, I mean, you gotta think, man. Freaking, they were the only. If that team was two or three years, you know, more developed, they were able to keep Harden. They would have been tough. They were tough already, yeah. and they were all babies. If everybody would have stayed together, it was just a matter of time, I think. Um, oh yeah, it was. It was amazing. I mean, you know, people think that they're good 
watching a game, you should just see them in practice. They do not miss. I mean, they're, they're just pickup games are insane. Well, yeah, because they're not afraid to uh, to take some, you know, more risky stuff and practice and pickup games. Whereas when they're in the game, you know, they have to be a little more calculated and careful. Exactly. Yeah, just carefree. That's that's wild, man. See, I had no idea about that. That's why I love doing these talks because so many guys have done different things in life, and anybody that goes out there and looks at Tornado Valley calls probably has no idea you know the stuff that you've done and that's just really cool yeah it's awesome just talking to other call makers just finding out you know what they do for a living behind the scenes you know their normal day-to-day job is it's it's interesting for sure it's fun because you see the facebook post and the call nuts post and uh when you get to a bigger guy you know i i look at you as one of the bigger call makers and uh you know just to see the, some of the struggles, I think, with maintaining a normal life, I, like, I've been friends with uh, Meredith for a long time, and I know that he has struggled for many, many years since he's gotten more popularity with maintaining that home life and sanity and uh, still maintaining his business. And is that something that you've had any kind of real struggle with? I mean, I think that's something that's going to be my biggest struggle coming up, honestly, with a new baby here and then... Uh Honestly, like my, my normal day-to-day job as a physical therapist, and then I also work for a company on the Oklahoma, uh, Central Oklahoma Rep for like a durable medical equipment company as well, and that's gotten really busy, so that's why, I mean, my call making is kind of taking a back seat as of right now, it's customs, you know, I don't, I don't like to have a lot of people waiting on me, so I finished up the custom list that I had, and I told people like, but right now, if you see a custom come out of me, it's just going to be something that I come up with off the top of my head. Um, not because I'm just, you know, some, some people think that some people close their books to just make that that want for their calls even stronger. And um, that's just the last thing on my mind right now. It's more about trying to maintain a normal schedule. Um, and then honestly, some of my calls that I've turned out in the past that seem to have the best response are just ones that, you know, I, I came up with on the top of my head, just kind of let them brew around in my brain for a little while and finally got to the lathe and let them come to life. Yeah, I think that's the funnest way to do it because, like, I've talked about it in the past with, you know, some different guys. My least favorite thing is when I post a call and I get a message, like four or five messages right off the bat. They're like, hey, is this one available? I'm like, no, that one's already sold. They're like, yeah. well, can you make me one just like that? I'm like, yeah. I'll be glad to have your business, but let me let's come up with something different to make it unique. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I have there's one call in particular that I've probably done like five times and it's just a it's simple. I mean it's a sculpted pecan call with a patina copper band and then like a transparent blue uh teal transparent teal sleeved insert. And it's a cool combo, but that's one that like when I post it up, I get like two or three more guys. Hey, can you make me one of those as well? <laughs> uh, I was actually just looking at that one like 30 minutes ago before we were going live, doing a little bit of you know background and having stuff fresh yeah. in my mind. But uh, yeah. yeah, dude, those kind of combinations are so cool. But you can get so burnt out doing the same thing over and over. Exactly. That's why I try to do a. I mean, that call I really can't. I could do another spin on it, I guess. Um, but other ones, and when people try to get something similar to something I've done in the past, I try to do my own little spin off of it and change it up just a little bit at least to make it different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you said, um, you know, the one-offs and 
kind of just going out there and tinkering around, throwing combinations together and not having that on a waiting list. Do you find that you enjoy that type more? Like, you know how Ernie, you'll have guys that have their books closed for a year and they'll have a list of calls that they're wanting to do and they just go out there and they look at their book. Okay, well, today I got to do this YCB call and it's got to have these tips on it. Do you find that having no kind of book and just going out there and doing whatever you want to do to be creative that day, is that more enjoyable to you? I think it is. Um, I, I'm just not one of those guys that I don't like people having to wait on me. So I feel bad like if I have a list of guys that are wanting calls and you know I have something else I need to do that day, it, I feel bad. Like I feel like I need to get out there on the wave and turn some calls. But then that's when you struggle because I never want to feel that way. I don't feel like I have to get out in the shop. I, I want to get out there. You know what I mean? So um, I just, I, as far as the cooler calls I've turned out, a lot of them are just from off the top of my head. Occasionally I'll get a customer that just throws me an awesome, crazy idea and it just, you know, that gets the creative juices flowing as well. Um, but yeah, I just, it's just balancing. You know, it's balancing between the want to and the have to. Yeah, I that's 100%, man. I agree with it. It's keeping yourself excited about call making versus if you just went out there and you were hand turning, you know, 20 or 30 hedge calls at a time or Coca-Cola calls trying to get some stock ones in. Those are the days that you're just like this this isn't that much fun right now. And that's exactly why I went to CNC as well because when somebody would want to order just, you know, a black acrylic call, um the fact that, you know, if, if they're okay with just having a normal acrylic call and they don't care either way if it's CNC'd or hand-turned, that way I can just, you know, they can get a call. I can get a call in the mail the next day to them and they can be hunting with it the next, that weekend. Yeah, um, exactly, versus, you know, having to throw it on a book and wait for something they could already had. Exactly. So how did you get, what was, like, the starting point? I guess let's even go back further. This That's the reckless part about going into this thing with no game plan and just spitballing wherever we go. Um, <laughs> it's sometimes I'm like, hey, what about this? Well, you know what? I want to go back and ask this question first. Um, did you grow up hunting? Was that something you've always done, or did you get into it later in life? Um, I, I, I'd say I grew up hunting. I started hunting in about sixth grade, uh, actually duck hunting. Um, my dad wasn't much of a hunter. Uh, we were, you know, we played sports. We were either playing baseball or basketball or something each weekend. Um, but he was always one of those dads that no matter what we wanted to do, he was going to make sure we had a way to do it. He was going to take us there. He was going to find a friend that did it and get us involved in it. So um, he he kind of got me interested in hunting, you know, just by talking to me about it. And I guess I just started picking his brain. So he had a friend that duck hunted, and he talked to him and loaded me up one time and. Uh, you know, there we were duck hunting with one of his friends, and uh, he kind of just went from there. He did the same thing deer hunting. He would he would take me deer hunting, and he would sit in the woods, but he didn't hunt himself. So he just always made sure that if there's something that I wanted to do, he was going to do the best way that he could to get me involved in it. So it started with duck hunting, and it kind of evolved from there. That's awesome, man. That There's no better time. There's probably no better memory, you know, that you have than just – a dad, somebody who's involved, man. That's just the best thing you could ever hope for. Oh yeah, some of the funniest stories are just when me and him would go. Just, and I mean, back then I wasn't even really shooting anything, but you still have some funny stories, you know. <laughs> and you realize how little you knew when you started. 
Oh my gosh. I remember the, uh, we went the first time with his friend and no ducks came in, but a group of geese flew over and we all unloaded on it and they just kept flying. We didn't touch one. (laughs) And then, uh, the next time we went, he took me back by myself and, uh, it was time for me to throw decoys out, and I was thinking in my head, I don't want to get in that water. Like, I was scared to death. I was a young kid. <laughs> Little did I know that I'd be wading in water the rest of my life. <laughs> so, what uh, what was the hunting like when you went out there? Because, I don't know, I've, I've been to Oklahoma a few times in my life, growing up, you know, an hour away from it. Oklahoma's flat to me. So, what type of, what type of hunting are you doing? Did you grow up hunting farm ponds or, a, you know, a lake? Or were you field Perfect. hunting? Early on, it was a uh, see that was just a uh, awesome sheet water off of the river. But uh, I grew up; I probably cut my teeth more on farm ponds and stuff. And uh, I've just expanded from there: farm ponds, lakes, rivers, watersheds. Um, I love just like I love small water. So, like a small wooded slough, or um, you know, something that they have to drop in from. I just love that. That's why I like going to Arkansas and hunting flooded timber when I can. Uh, so I'd say between small water with a thick canopy and then, you know, when everything locks up and the birds hit the river, that's probably my two favorite styles of duck hunting. Yeah, I, I love, like you're talking about, we have a this farm pond that's close to the house where, I, you know, I've grown up hunting at and uh, a couple miles away. But it's a, a farm pond that's not any bigger than, I don't know, a half acre of water. But it's surrounded by trees. And by the time birds get in there, you know, there's no getting out. And exactly, that's yeah. my, you know, one of our favorite spots. That's awesome. Yeah, I love seeing birds just float in. I yeah. Don't, I, don't like, I don't like pass shooting. I mean, you could say it's probably because I'm a terrible shot maybe, but I want them in my face. So. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, the, especially being a call maker is interacting with the birds you know if you're just going out and sitting on top of a hilltop and pass shooting them as they fly over that's not the same thing to me yeah i mean i like shooting birds of course but my two favorite parts of duck hunting are calling in birds with a call that i made and then watching my dog work i just love watching a good dog work it it makes a huge difference with dogs man it's just that whole other relationship especially hunting over a good dog <laughs> yeah yeah you know having that. a hunt over with a bad dog can ruin a hunt but hunting with a good dog there's just that connection between handler the birds working watching a dog chase a cripple and it ducks under and swims two feet over and he's just following it out in the middle of the water like that's fun to me yeah i think that's just a complete package is like a you know just a complete waterfowler honestly just i, I think in a sense all waterfowlers are kind of a do-it-yourselfer kind of guys i mean we obviously have some form of addictive personality or we wouldn't be out there in the crazy elements chasing birds but it's just kind of doing everything that we possibly can to to fool a bird you know yeah yeah i totally i agree and i feel like as the main people we've been talking to are are call makers so Mm -hmm. you take somebody who has that addictive personality who's a do-it-yourselfer and took it that you know because i feel like a lot of waterfowlers are like man i'm thinking about getting into call making and then you talk to call makers they're the guys that are just like screw it i'm just gonna go do it (laughs) and i have so much fun talking to those guys because that's me you know yeah it takes it takes that kind of person to just dive into it even though you really do not know what you're getting into until you do it but uh 
you just kind of have to go for it. Well, it'd be so much cheaper just to have bought, you know, whatever call I wanted at the time that I decided that I was going to make calls. Oh, yeah, and, and I'm sure that you probably got into this for the same way I did. I thought, oh, man, I'm tired of spending this kind of money on these calls. I can make it myself. And then I go into my hunting room, and I see the call collection from other makers, and, you know, it didn't slow me down at all. I buy and I make. See, that's the that's the best answer because that's my answer is – I can't afford to keep buying a $150 call, $200 call every week like I want to do. And my first idea was to get into it. I wanted to make some of the calls for myself. I wanted to be able to trade with other guys. And then I wanted to um, help offset some of my waterfowl cost. Not, not horribly, but, you know, not be a burden onto the family. So that way if money got tight, as it had more kids, stuff like that, I wanted to still be able to go out and do, you know, what I love to do and not be a burden on the family. That's exactly the reason I got into it. I thought, you know, I can make it myself. And then, but like you said, if if you can make a little bit of money, you know, while you're doing something you enjoy to offset, I mean, whether it's to go buy a few boxes of ammo or um, just anything to help to where you can take it out of that account rather than, you know, something that the family needs. I mean, it's, it's just a blessing, honestly. And it's so funny. Have you ever heard, I don't know, I feel like I've heard somebody talk about call making and uh, through different posts and stuff like that over the years. And it seems like the generic answer is, I couldn't find a call that fit me, so I wanted to do it myself. And that is like so far from the truth of why I got into it. And every other call maker that I've talked to, know, and friends with, nobody's ever said that. But I feel like I've heard that a million times is the generic answer. And in my opinion, I think those are probably guys that aren't even making calls. Or if they are, I would like to I'd like to hear one, honestly. <laughs> yeah, right? Like there's so many different variations I mean, there's only so many different variations of the J frame and there's a thousand guys that have been making them. Like yeah. you can't find one that, you know, fit you. Like I don't understand that concept. Yeah, and then uh, honestly, I mean if you get with a good call maker and you like their style they can probably tune the call specifically to you that's kind of what i pride myself in so i guess if they would just reach out to a call maker they could get a call to fit them yeah yeah i don't know man it's a it's a weird one for sure yeah so you uh you got your teeth you know cut hunting some that some reason that sentence doesn't make any sense to me but i think that's you cut your teeth hunting okay maybe that's what i meant but um so you at what age and you know how long you've been doing it when you decided that hey you're going to go out there and do it yourself trying to uh make these calls that you'd seen and collected so it started it was when i was in grad school uh i was hunting with a, a buddy of mine that i hunted with back then and we were sitting in, and it was just a slow morning we we're sitting in a hole and uh i think i had just bought a, a green bow dark uh timber call from echo and we were looking at it and you know, I, was, I mean, he, he was a he was a call fanatic, so we we're just talking about calls, and uh, I was just thinking like I could make this. Um, my dad was a carpenter uh, back in the day, so I had grown up watching him do some woodwork, whether it's building tables or just any kind of project. So I had a little bit of idea about carpenter work. Um, so I had that, and I had actually made a turkey slate call in the past with a router not a lathe but with a router so mm. I just kind of had that mentality like I can figure this out um, but little did I know you know what all it entailed to make a call um, I think about that time I started 
and you know, looking for looking at lathes and of course watching every single YouTube video there was and that was kind of let's see that was before Facebook got really big so I mean Facebook was active but the call making uh, was not active on Facebook everybody was still on THO so I researched a lot on THO and you know, read the different threads, and then, like I said, just watched every YouTube video possible, whether it was Rick Dunn or Bobby Hayes. Um, I mean, just everything. And I would even write notes. Um, I'm sure if you look at my, even my grad school notes, I had call pictures drawn on it and designs and everything, because that's all you think about is the shape of your call at first. You don't even <laughs> think about uh, the insert. Um, so, my parents, I think, I think for Christmas one year, they bought me a lathe. So I was real, um, everything, I did everything in steps. So I thought, I'm going to get this lathe and I'm just going to, you know, turn some junk wood, some two by fours and just kind of learn the lathe, you know, learn how to shape a call, learn sanding and everything. And then, you know, I'll go get some better wood or I think I, you know, I progressed to just get some hedge and then I progressed from there. Uh, but I, I didn't ever want to use a, um, a poly stuffer insert, you know? I mean, some people do that, and that's good for them, but I, I'm just one of those mentalities that if I'm going to do it and I'm going to put my name on it, you know, I, I want it to be all for me, you know, my design, my thoughts. So I ordered um, some flat jigs, and uh, I, I took the flat jigs, and we we grinded the end of them to get a little slope at the end and I thought that that was all it was going to take <laughs> just to slope it off so, <laughs> of course I you know turned some calls turned some inserts pop them in there and <laughs> they didn't do anything um, but finally I got one that somewhat quacked and you know we sand on it sand on it it's, if I go and blow it to this day it's the lightest call possible uh, small board just really really light but it quacked and it made you proud you know you quack and do a little feed chuckle um and that's just kind of what lit the fire underneath me to kind of you know, to figure it out uh, i did i don't know a few dozen calls on those flat jigs and you know it's like you hear from every call maker there's a every single one of those calls you'd like to get back you wish you didn't put them out you know uh, <laughs> right but you but you're so anxious to to just get your call out and have people because you think it's the best thing ever so you want other people to go and hunt with it and kill birds so you know i did that for a while and um me and that that friend that you know kind of we sparked the call making we we sanded on one tone board and got pretty good little timber call out of it so you know i, I hunted that one for a while and we thought or i thought uh no, i'm gonna get a i'm gonna get a jig made on this so i got a jig made on that one and I made some calls off that for a while, and um, about that time, I started. I, I made some friends out in Arkansas, so I started going out to Arkansas at least once a year to go hunt by Amida. Um, so we're hunting out there, and every single guy that I hunted with, um, they were cut down guys. They, uh, a few of them even owned some cut down companies, so they're out there just you know hailing on calls and just barking like crazy and blowing their lungs out and um and then i had my call design and i was just thinking like you know sometimes there'd be an instance whether it was late season or just stagnant birds that you know the birds would get blown out of the hole so i was thinking man what if i could just come up with a design that still is an aggressive call 
that if they want to pop on them or bark on them, they can. But they can also get real, you know, finesse-like on the call and not blow a bird out of the hole. So that was kind of uh, the, the idea that I wanted in my, my main design when I came home from there. Uh, so I I took my my jig that I was using, and uh, I, I came up with a new... Um, just design of the call, the look of it, and that's what that's the call that I have now, the Thunderstick. Um, I came up with that design, just the look of it, and then I just started tinkering with it. Um, I, I I had to do an event for a church, and they wanted I don't know like six or eight calls. So I decided, well, I'm gonna cut half of them with my normal timber cut, and then the other half I'm gonna do my new design. And when I cut them on the jig, I'm gonna leave a little extra meat on the tone board, meaning you know just extra material, so I could have a little bit more of an upslope if I wanted or I can drop it off just just to see if I could get anywhere closer to what I was wanting. So um, I, I cut them that way, and I was in there. That was back when I tuned in a lot of the calls in the house still, and I was tuned to the call. And that first one that I tuned up that had that I left some a little bit extra material on it just tuned up perfectly, and it was exactly what I was looking for. So. I kept that sucker and put it in my pocket, and I tuned the church event another call, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I had a jig made off of that one, and that's kind of where my current design came from. Well, see, and that's so cool. Like, I've, um, I've talked with different guys, you know, and where you hunt at and the style of hunting you do, I feel like it affects how everybody develops into call making so much. Like, um, I was talking to somebody, maybe it was Colton Thompson, who's from northern mississippi arc he's hunted with a lot of cut down guys i can't remember who yeah it was. he's down south yeah 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 and it's like somebody from where i'm at and probably more of where you grew up hunting i'm never going to develop a cut down you know yeah. because i'll never need it around here they would blow every bird out of the water out here because the pressure is not the same as it is down there in the flooded timber of arkansas so it's cool that you know you had your design that you worked at you know, and kind of hunted it a lot at home. But then when you went out there and you saw a different style of hunting, it it helped your call making evolve because you figured out what you needed to make it work for everybody. And um, I don't know, man. It's just it's it's cool to see the development and the thought process process of how guys get to different places. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you can kind of take someone's call design and. I, I bet most call makers could run someone else's call design and get an idea about how that call maker likes to call, you know, how they like to work ducks, you know, if they're an aggressive call or, or if they're just more of a finesse person, just by the sound of the call. Oh, yeah. Like, I was hunting with um, one of my buddies, and we hunt together, I don't know, we, back then we were hunting together probably 80 days a year, you know, just going all over the country, different parts of the state, and now we're probably like a 25, 30 day a year hunt together. But I had this tone board a few years ago, few years ago, and design and backboard that I was happy with, and I just thought it was good to go. Man, I loved it, it really fit the way that I called. And we got out there on a hunt, and uh, it was the first time I had brought it out to the hunt, and he brought it out to me. He's like, dude, that thing is so loud. Because, you know, you got that diaphragm strength from working on it and tuning calls. He's like, that thing is so loud, dude. It is making my ears hurt. And I'm like, you know, we're hunting a, we're hunting a pond right now, and I'm not trying to be loud. 
but that's probably a good point. <laughs> it probably doesn't need to be this loud. I need to go back and rework this, keep it for a different idea, but uh, you know, figure out a way to bring it down and make it more finesse. Yeah, and, and that's exactly like, I mean, I, I forget who said it, but someone said you can always make a loud call quiet by you know the way that you present your air and your diaphragm control, but you cannot make a quiet call loud. So yeah. that's kind of the way I like to live by, you know. Yeah, I saw um, I saw a video a while back of Bobby talking about that, and he was explaining. I think it was Bobby. Bobby. Yes. Yeah, and he's like, the best way to learn is on a big open board call. Because if you can figure out how to run a loud call, you can always figure out how, how to bring it down. But, you know, that small board with a lot of back pressure, those things are so much more finicky. He's like, if you're trying to learn, that's like the hardest thing to learn on is a finicky, high back pressure type call. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Mine, mine's a, um, it's a pretty open board. Um, doesn't have a ton of that pressure, but it does have some built in for the finesse notes. Um, but... Like I said, it, it can it can pop, it can it can give your loud hells for like a you know like a meat call, um, and then it can have a pretty good little dirty feet in there. Uh, but I mean, like I said earlier, just because that's how I run a call doesn't mean that's how that call is going to run for everyone. So you know, I'll have people that come to me and they're saying, you know, I want a little bit more rasp in a call, or I want a little whinier or something, and I can build that into the you know, just by, by tuning it. Um, and that's, that's why I enjoy, like I've been doing some expo shows the last couple of years and, uh, just meeting with the customers, just the local Oklahoma customers and being able to tune the call specifically to them. I think that's a game changer, uh, because it keeps people from losing their, from developing bad habits from by, you know, they, they get a call off the shelf at a store and they're trying to learn to call or they're trying to adjust to that call. And that might, I mean, it could be as easy as just they're running the wrong read length, you know, and they just need it trimmed or they need it a little longer. That right there could keep them from developing bad habits that could affect them later on down the road when they're trying to turn into a, you know, more advanced caller. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. It, um, I don't know, that's something that I've talked about in the past is um, the way that different guys build calls, and you were saying it, you can tell how different call makers blow a call. And, um, having that call immediately not fit you because you know if you're a guy that blows a lot of air i use a lot of air i punch that's just the way that i've always you know blown a call you know i I like to put a lot of air through the call and sometimes when i'm tuning it and i send it out i'll have somebody be like man this thing is just set up too stiff for me and i'm like oh you know that i'm used to doing it myself and sometimes i don't think about you know the end user and I always have to bring myself back down and tune it a little light for the way that I like to run it. Yeah, um, that's kind of that was one of my big questions when I when I did my CNC line. Um, you know, how, how can I do a good middle of the road tuning uh, when sending it out? And a lot of times, like if if I'm directly talking to the customer, like they message me and they didn't just order it off my website without talking to me. If they message me, I ask them, like, is there a specific tuning that you like or is there a certain kind of call that you like to run? And I can kind of match it from there. Uh, but one of my buddies that owns a, a pretty big call company here in Oklahoma, he, he told me, uh, when in doubt, tune it stout. And I've kind of lived by that uh, rather than, you know, I think a person can adjust to a stiffer call a lot easier than if they get a call and they just squill it out because it's way too light. 
I agree. I, you know, if you're used to running heavy and then you go to something light, you're just going to put it down. <laughs> 100%. So, yeah, man, that's a, it's, it, like I said, I just, I find this stuff interesting. And uh, the way that guys go about sending calls out, and I feel like I've got, we all have a very similar mindset. And to run into the same problems that everybody runs into, because there's a lot of times I'm tinkering around in the shop and uh i'm tuning something and then i'll run across a problem and i was like man i wonder if anybody else is you know the same exact problem and back in the tho days you know you could just punch it up and uh you'd get an answer and have you know everybody on there telling you about their experiences and that's where i did a lot of my research but i you know i found out recently they uh went to facebook so now you can't even search tho anymore yeah that's what i saw and i, I liked the facebook you know page or group but i haven't seen a lot of activity on it yet but yeah that's where i kind of picked it up as well I, my first uh my first inlay call that i did was off of a design from tho and the metal inlays that i did on that call were soldered inlays and now looking back at that and then thinking now you know i just do regular metal sheet inlays it's just the pain that i went through to get that call the way i wanted it was insane so soldered inlays as okay my head you cut grooves and actually like soldered in melted wire? <laughs> yes, exactly. So I cut grooves. I think it was an elk antler, an African blackwood call. I, it was one of those things you see all these designs and you get in way over your head. I was like, I'm going for it. I did it for a buddy for his wedding gift. And uh, I cut grooves and, you know, put wire around it and then soldered it together and then turned it down after I soldered it. And surprisingly, it, I mean, after who knows how many tries, I finally got it. And, uh, but now thinking back and thinking that I could have just bought some sheet metal and drilled a hole in it and stuck it in there. Uh, that's insane. so funny. Well, and that's, that is what we do, though. We tinker yeah. and we just go out and find things. I think I tried tipping a call on like within like the first month of turning. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what am I even worried about tipping a call? I haven't even figured out a tone board yet. But by God, I love the look of a tipped call, and I'm going to try it and figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's funny, man. It's just that mindset, that go out there and go get it mindset. That, and then you just see so many guys that are just so good at it that they make it look easy. So then if you're just, you know, lurking in the shadows of call nuts or something, you're just like, oh, you know, that, that has to be easy. And then you'll see you'll see random people that are just getting into call making and they'll post some questions up and you can tell that they're just kind of getting in over their head too quick. Like they need to backpedal and just start with the basics and, no, um, that's just, it's I mean, always the worst to watch somebody who's they're like, I, this is my first call, and they use a an expensive piece of burl. I was like, you oh, yeah. you need to go burn up about a thousand dollars worth of junk junk wood before you start worrying about that, or else you're gonna rack up some expenses real quick, like. Yeah, or they do what we've probably all done and go buy a blank from Woodcraft, and you're scraping off you know half inch of wax and then turning a thirty percent moisture blank. Yep, one hundred percent, man. That is the worst. Everybody did it though. I, uh, God, who was I talking to that did that? That I don't remember. Somebody I was talking to did the exact same thing. Maybe Tyler Hall, and he was telling me about it and how he had uh, that he was getting ready. He ran a CNC run. He had already had a tone board developed, and he ran a CNC run. But the wood calls that he got to give to the CNC, or I think, were from Woodcraft. 
And he's like half, you know, like over half of his calls that he had were completely unusable. Yes, I just heard, I just listened to that episode, I think yesterday or the day before. And I'm sure he's just shaking his head and thinking back about that. But yeah, I mean, you just don't have any idea until you do your research, or more than likely, I mean, like we all have, the best way to learn is to fail. Yeah, so just doing that. it and being mad at yourself, um, it, that's the best way to learn. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the funny thing is is there's there used to be with THO and now Call Nuts, there's so much information out there that all you have to do is ask. But I still, so many times I've cost myself so much money and time because I didn't take that extra second. I'm a guy. Oh, what do I need these instructions for? I don't need any of this junk. And then, well, where does this piece go? Why do I have extra of this left over? You know, I'm like, ah, oh, crap. I should have read the dang instructions. Yeah, just plan that. That's the kind of the you know, the more intricate calls I do. If I would just sit there and plan it out in my head and even draw it out, everything comes out better. But sometimes you just get in a hurry and you just you have the end idea in your head and you just want to go for it, and it backfires a lot of times. Yeah, that's and that's the real learning experience. If I see somebody post on there, don't do this. You know, don't use CA glue for a band. Okay, okay, yeah. I've seen that a hundred times. First time I did it and I popped one off, pulling a freaking insert out, I'm like, okay, this is why you don't use CA for a freaking band. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, yeah, and then just learning how to, you know, drill acrylic without brazing it. And, oh, uh, that was the way. It's, 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 it's funny because, I mean, you can get on there and you can get on those groups and you can ask for all kinds of advice. Um, and there's a lot of guys that will get it to you, but then sometimes you see those guys that are like, you know, it's, it's fine to ask everything, but sometimes you just need to do a little research and figure it out yourself sometimes. And I, it, that's one of the best answers, honestly, because it will you'll, you'll respect it a lot better and you'll appreciate it when you figure it out yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like you said, the, the scarring up that clear insert or the clear uh, acrylic, it was oh, like, gosh. oh, I went out and bought, you know, a bunch of juice was the first transparent I got. And I freaking love juice calls. And I was like, okay, low and slow and do this. And then you scar up that first scar. And you're like, okay, well, maybe this will sand out. That was too fast, apparently. And then you go a little bit more. And you're like, okay, that was pretty good. And then you get to like the sixth or seventh cut. And you're like, oh, well, crap. Now the, uh, the bit is way too hot, and I need to just set it aside for a while, and now that whole blank is trashed. And you're like, I've used two feet of this trying to figure out how to do a three-inch barrel, and I learned it, but I just cost myself, you know, 50 bucks trying to figure this out. Yeah, and then you, and even if it's not brazen a call, just any, I mean, I don't know about you, but still to this day, I have not sent, in my opinion, a perfect call out of my shop, because I feel like we are some of the most picky people well, when it yeah. comes to call, you know, duck calls. So there's always going to be something that you you yourself are not 100% happy with. Uh, you know, And it might not just be the sound. It might just be a visual part of the call that you're just like, man, I could have done that better, I feel like. But to the customer, they're just like, oh, that's amazing. Well, and when I do like trades and stuff like that, I, I love it when I find little tiny things that could have been done differently or I would have maybe done this uh this you know piece of wood as a barrel or as a uh, band slightly different like oh they drilled it at three quarters I would have done it at you know an inch and made this yeah. band thinner stuff like that that's like those small tiny imperfections is what makes it a hand turn call versus buying 
you know, an echo from, you know, Bass Pro or something like that. Like, I love that hand-turned aspect of being perfectly imperfect. And that, at the end of the day, that's what you got to tell yourself. Because, I mean, I, I use calipers to get a few just key measurements on my calls. But other than that, yeah, it's every single one. I don't use a duplicator when I do a hand-turn call. It's every single one's going to vary just a little bit. Um, so at the end of the day, like you said, that's that's the true value of a hand-turn call. That makes it cool. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a huge pain in the butt to try to figure out. There's so many guys that uh, come up with some really – like you have a classic-looking shape. I like to keep mine as a classic-looking shape. There's some guys that have some really intricate parts of their shape. I'm like, man, how the heck do you duplicate that look all the time? That has to just be a headache. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I just, I guess it's my inner physical therapist coming out. I, I wanted a call to be ergonomic. I wanted it to fit well to the person. So my big things that I wanted to do, I wanted to have a rounded lip, uh, and then I wanted the insert to fit well in the hand, the bell of the insert. So other than that, the rest is just cosmetic and just, you know, I wanted to do the band a little different, but the rest was just up to looks after that. Well, and like I've uh, I've said before, I, to this podcast, I feel like I've said like I said way too many times. It's driving me nuts. But uh, hey, we're an hour into it, so I'm just going to keep it. But um, I, if you can't make a call that you would want to buy, then why the heck would anybody else want to buy it? And that's when people are picking shape and design of their calls. Don't go out there and intend to copy anybody or like purposely try to make some. But keeping that great, clean, classic look, like I love the shape of your calls because it is, you know, ergonomically correct. It fits well, but it looks good too. Like you have a good looking call. And that's what I, I appreciate it. You have to shoot for because if, you know, you're trying to sell calls at the end of the day. Yeah, you want to look streamlined. You don't want it, you don't want the barrel and the insert to not even look like they go together. You know, you want them to have a, a similar look and a flow. Um, but. I mean, there's a lot of just great call makers out there that you see you see their shape and you're like, oh, I never thought about that, but it looks amazing. Right, right, exactly. Well, and it's cool to see uh, some of the, you know, classic lines and use. And, like, some guys are doing some really cool straight barrel stuff that was done on some really old school straight barrel calls. I'm like, hey, I'm glad this style is coming back around. Like, um, I was. I wish he was still making calls, but Cody Johnson's calls were so cool back in the day. That like oak barrel look that he had to his his barrels were so unique and just a simple design, but they just looked really old school to him. Yeah, he's an Oklahoma guy as well. He's up northeast Oklahoma. Yeah, he's a beast, um, man. He's a Oak State champ for a couple of years. Yeah, he. Uh, I did see where he, you know, he would turn a few calls and just post them up every once in a while. Yeah, uh, but I, I still want to get my hands on one of his, his smaller calls. Yeah, they're slick. They're rare, man. It is hard to find them. Yeah, I saw someone post one up the other day. I was a little late on it, but I'm still <laughs> keeping my eye open. Exactly. That's, that's just the cool thing about call making, though. I mean, I mean, just like your podcast. I mean, just connecting with other call makers. I mean, I've, I've made some great friends out of call making already um, in, in different states. That It's just awesome, I think. Well, yeah, and it brings together, like, um, Real Foot and different meetups and stuff, too, because not only can you talk to all these guys you probably never would have talked to or never had a reason to really talk to through social media, but, like, all the, the gatherings and the just the meetups and, like, this podcast, and I, I love doing the podcast because it's talking to like-minded people 
because we all have very similar ways of doing things and just going out there and doing it. I, I feel like I've beat, you know, a dead horse on this one of just that same mindset. It's just really cool to be around people that have that same mindset because I don't encounter that every day in my day-to-day life. And uh, just talking to guys that have gone through the same experiences, I think that's why like vets and people that have been through like m- the military, they all get along so well because they just have that relatable story and mindset. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when you tell someone, you know, that you know, they're like, what do, you, what do you do for fun or what do you do on the side? And you tell them you make duck calls and they look at you like you're crazy. But then you talk to someone else that actually make calls, it's just normal everyday life, just like yours, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, you're like, of course. And then somebody that you've worked with for five, six years, they're like, I didn't know you made calls, I just saw it on your Facebook. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, it's my fun little side hobby. Yeah, I've, I've had patients come in and they say, oh, you're the duck call man. And I'm just like, how do you know? And said, oh, I, I saw your write-up in the paper or I saw, you know, something random or, or my, one of their relatives told them. Um, but there's a million people that have no idea that uh, just make duck calls on the side. But, you know, you're talking about the gatherings and that's something I still have not done and I want to. I want to make a real foot gathering just to see, you know, to mingle with every other call maker and see you know the skills that they bring to the table and learn um i've met with a few call makers like uh rob baker of salt spray up in maryland mm-hmm. um my my wife's mother has a place up in maryland so we went up there and i just randomly i knew he was in maryland so i was like i'm just gonna contact him and see if he wants to get together and you know we started talking on facebook and then I don't know if it was me or him. We just, one of us suggested a trade. So then when I was up there, he went and visited his shop, and we did a callmaker's trade. And, um, we've been tight since then. You know, talking on a regular basis, and so I talked to him quite a bit. I talked to Kent Easton quite a bit. I'm just great guys that just like you said have normal jobs, and then they're callmakers on the side. And I mean, the callmaking community and the guys in there are just great people, honestly. Yeah, it's just, we're a weird tribe of guys that, uh, and there's probably some girls out there, so I don't want to exclude, but uh, just a weird tribe of people that work their 9 to 5, have their families, and then when everybody else is getting ready for bed, they head out to the shop or the garage and get all their dust and everything on them and just go out there and, it's art, man. Call making is art, 100%, and it's your expression of, uh, I don't know, it's so therapeutic to me. If I'm like just stressed out, I'm sick and tired of work or sick and tired of something that's going on, I just go out there and just zone out. And it's so yeah, much fun. I, and you do not know what, I mean, you have an idea what the call is going to turn out looking like, but you have no idea until it's completed because every single block of wood is different. And that's the cool part about it. Yeah, that, um, I, I think I told Channing that. That's one of my favorite days is New Blank Day. And uh, going out there and chopping them up and, you know, drilling your five-eighths through there and being like, okay, I don't have really time to go out and build a call from start to finish tonight. I got to get up early, but I'm going to round off, you know, these 10 or 15 blanks just so I can have an idea of how these things are going to look when I do it. I love doing that. It's just fun. Yeah, I do as well. Especially when you get a blank. Like, I I had a desert ironwood blank the other day, and it just looked like a straight wood straight straight grained blank and then once i rounded that sucker it had so much characteristic in it it was it's just surprised me yeah it's uh i don't know it's like the calls in there you're just revealing it um 
I've had one that was this YCB call, and it was dyed black. And I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be cool. It's got a lot of black in it. And then I go turn it, and it's like maybe 50% black, 50% natural, but it's all swirled out. I was like, dude, this is 100 times cooler than what I ever expected. I'm going to have to change my whole plan with this. You know, being an all-dark call, I was going to do some white accents, but it's like now that this is yellow and black, I'm going to go a completely different direction. Yeah, I have a few yellow cedar burl uh, blanks sitting out there right now calling my name. I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do with them. But that's, <laughs> that's the other cool part is, I mean, your options on material are just endless. I mean, from different kinds of woods, exotic woods, now you can dye them and stabilize them to acrylics and all the different kind of micartas you can do now and materials are just, it's endless. Yeah. I mean, guys like you are really pushing, you know, you, like you said, you, that Spalta Pecan with uh, that clear Coke bottle. The guys that are putting together, Rob is another one. He is always at the forefront of combining oh really cool materials in ways that nobody would ever think of. That I, hey, I love watching that stuff. Yeah, it blows my mind, the stuff he does. And how meticulous his calls are and just the, the the fine details that if you're not a call maker you don't see it or you know you don't know the work that goes into like steps and the process but when as a call maker when you look at something like that you're just like amazed oh yeah I'll uh I'll show be scrolling through sitting you know right before bed or something like that and I'll see something like that that's just blows your mind and you, you know, you try to show it over to a significant other or whatever, and you're like, look at this thing. And they're like, I don't like that. I would never, like, I would, I don't like that. I like more plain calls. And I'm like, yeah, but you have to appreciate. As a call maker, I see 19 steps that went into this rather before just, you know, spinning it. Look at all these layers and different intricate parts of it. And she's like, eh, well, you know, I don't really like the look of it. I'm like, I, it, it's about respecting the process. It's insane. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. That's what's funny about you know, all of our significant others and stuff. My wife, she'll help me at the shows because, like, when I do an expo or a, you know a little backwoods or a hunt show, I'll have some some buddies that work my booth with me and stuff. But my wife always tries to come up there as well. And I forget what we were talking about, but there's there was someone that we knew that was at the booth and they were kind of shopping around. And my wife said something like. I bet I know more about duck calls than you do. I just laughed because she probably does now just because she hears about them and sees calls all the time. That's so funny. Was she uh, into hunting or knew anything about hunting before you guys got together? Not one bit. When uh, was she? She had no idea what she was getting into. She grew up uh, you know, Air Force kid, so she moved around all the time. Okay. So when, How proud were you were the first time where she gave you a goose or duck report? Like, you know what I'm talking about? When you're out somewhere and she's like, hey, I just saw this, you know, group of 100 geese. They just flew over their head in this direction. I'm like, I I love you. <laughs> she's good about that, but she's better at, like, turkeys and deer. So, I mean, when we drive around, I have certain spots that my head is always turning to to see if there's deer or turkey in there, you know. And it's funny. I was telling her the other day, I said, because right now, you know, of course, she's riding in the back of the car with our baby. So I said, it's funny, when I turn to look somewhere to see if there's deer or turkey out there, I see your head snapping quicker than mine in the rear view mirror. That's hard to get her, get her own spots to look for. That's freaking hilarious. I love it, man. That's that's great that, uh, I don't know, it just you guys have that little family, and now you got a, a son that you can start passing on some information to, and 
can't wait to take out to the blind. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I'm hoping. I mean, of course, I don't want to. I don't want to take him out too early to where it's just where he doesn't understand it. But you know, I I would love to. If hopefully, he latches onto it and wants to learn how to call and just you know. I think anything that involves a dog is going to help. So just having a dog for the the kid to you know really get attached to and knowing that that dog is going hunting with him, I think that's just that's going to make it that much easier. Oh yeah, man. And even if it's not just hunting, I have pictures of both of my girls and uh, they're 11 months apart. So they're just like, you know, almost twins. And they were both in diapers, you know, just barely, you know, sitting up and they're both sitting on the ground, taking apart calls, looking at reads. And it's really funny, you know, without any kind of coaching or anything like that, I watch my oldest and she just pulls a, a call apart and she starts looking at it and she flips the reed a few times up and down and puts the barrel back on and then, you know, half blows it as like a little kid can. I was like, that's so funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a noisemaker. So kids are going to last under that. I know my nephew has, so I'm sure my son will as well. And that's what's funny is in his little his, his nursery, he already has, I mean, as soon as Rob Baker found out that we were having a kid, he sent a call for my, for my baby. So he's got a custom call and all the materials that Rob used to make it were all um, discontinued materials so you can't get them and then so he, he he won't even know what he has you know until he's old enough to use it but he's got his cool duck calls already and some awesome mounts in there so he's already set up that's awesome man well it sounds like you know you guys really have a good life going down there man it's it's an exciting time um this corona's ending you got the the young kiddo calls i don't know it's getting ready to be that hot time for call makers uh, trying to gear up for waterfowl season so it's getting exciting it is it's a good time of year um try to you know restock on materials and get back behind the lake before it gets too hot in the shop and yeah it's, it's like you said it's an exciting time absolutely brother well like i said uh well i haven't said it yet and i said like i said for the hundredth time um yeah anyway brother uh i really appreciate you giving me some of your mother's day i won't keep you any longer then uh i need to let you get back to the the kiddo and the family and enjoy some dinner i'm sure coming around but uh i really appreciate you giving me some of your time man hey i appreciate the interest i've been listening to it kind of started right before you made the transition to itunes and i've enjoyed your episodes it's nice to kind of dive into you know the approaches that other call makers have and just honestly just their normal daily life just to kind of the person behind the lathe so that's the cool part about it yeah man it's fun to connect with all the different brothers from all over the country without a doubt absolutely brother well if people want to get a hold of you and uh grab one of your cnc calls where would they cnc your custom whenever you open back up where would they get a hold of you at um well if they want a cnc call and i have acrylic and kookaboa right now um they can go on my website which is tornadovalleycalls.com i have all my duck calls on there you know all the apparel hats stickers stuff like that um i'm hoping to i'm not even hoping i'm gonna be more assertive than that i will have some goose calls coming out this summer so that's my next big thing that i'll be launching um so the website's a good way and they can also get a hold of me on facebook the tornado valley calls um facebook page and then my personal page and then also instagram so any of those 
Awesome, man. Well, I would like to have you back on sometime when we get closer to season and uh, maybe talk about that goose call and how things are going and how you're adjusting to the, the no sleep life. <laughs> We've been lucky so far on that part, but yeah, I would definitely love to do it again. It's been a great time. We really enjoyed it and we'd love to just dive into some call making even more. Absolutely, brother. Well, I will let you get on here and, uh, or get off here, I guess, and go and spend some time with the family. All righty, Chris. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks right. for having me on. Yeah, brother. You take care of yourself. You too. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. All right, guys, that was Brandon Llewelling of Tornado Valley Calls out there in central Oklahoma. He's doing some just really, really cool stuff with call making. Um, I really love the design of his stuff and just his use of materials and different ways of putting it together. Um, who would have known that he worked with the, the Thunder? That was a, a really unexpected cool part. But that is why we love doing this, man. That's why I love talking to different guys and finding out about their life. Um, so as far as the giveaway goes, get on there, share it, subscribe, comment on the, uh, the picture of the free call and, uh, make sure that you type in shared under that. And, uh, that'll be an extra entry into the giveaway. So yeah, I'm going to get off here and, uh, we'll have this up for you later on the night. Thank you guys. Have a good one.